0: This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair LaVora Barnes.
1: Welcome to Party on the Peninsulas. I'm LaVora Barnes. The word this week, corruption. As we approach the 2024 election, it seems to be the one constant in far too many campaigns. With most of the scandals involving Republicans, All the news coverage over Donald Trump's four criminal cases has virtually erased public awareness of a long series of his financial corruption, some dating back decades that would, in more normal times, destroy a political candidate. The list is seemingly endless. The well-documented tax scams his father, Fred Trump, used decades ago to transfer more than $400 million to his son, Donald finally revealed after a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigation by the New York Times. Trump's current civil trial, which wraps up this week, on years of using fraudulent financial statements to bamboozle banks and insurance companies. His criminal trial on using tax-deductible corporate money to pay hush money to Stormy Daniels. The more than $7 million spent with Trump-owned companies by foreign governments. Primarily China and Saudi Arabia, in direct violation of the U.S. Constitution. And that's just during the first two years of his presidency, and at just four of his properties. Millions more paid by taxpayers to Trump companies in the form of hotel and golfing expenses, billed to the Secret Service for hotel rooms, meals, and even golf carts, all at Trump-owned properties, during his almost weekly golfing junkets. $2 billion, plus an annual $25 million payment, funneled to Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, just days after Kushner left Trump's White House staff. Forbes magazine reported that the Chinese government granted a total of 41 trademarks to companies linked to Ivanka Trump by April of 2019. The trademarks she applied for after her father became president, according to Forbes, got approved about 40% faster than those she requested before Donald Trump's victory in the 2016 election. And Trump donors have been paying Trump's travel bills as he campaigns and shows up in court with payments going to Trump's company, which manages his private Boeing 757. He makes a profit every time he travels. And there's lots more. It's not just Trump. There are the millions lavished on Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and the many credit card and campaign fund frauds of George Santos. Democrats are not totally immune. The bribery charges against New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez and his wife are, if true, just as reprehensible. In Michigan, the story is almost as bad. One former Speaker of the House is in prison after pleading guilty to bribery charges. Two aides to former Michigan House Speaker Lee Chatfield are charged with pocketing $525,000 from political nonprofits. Their former boss is under criminal investigation as is another former House Speaker and one of his key staff members. Also under investigation, two former Senate majority leaders for alleged misuse of secret campaign funds. And former Northern Michigan Representative Larry Inman is on trial in Grand Rapids this week, accused of attempted extortion and soliciting a bribe. The common denominator in all of this, so-called dark money. In a moment, we'll hear from Attorney General Dana Neschel, who has been at the forefront of investigating and prosecuting public corruption. But first, a summary of some of the other stories on policy and politics impacting Michigan with MDP's Dorian Tyus.
0: In the news this week, Michigan's economy remains strong according to a consensus of the state's top economic forecasters. Following the annual Conference of State Government Economic Forecasters, state treasurer rachel eubanks said michigan's economy and revenues are strong and stable laying the groundwork for the upcoming budget process confidence in our economy is expected to increase with lower inflation lower interest rates lower gas prices and low unemployment people are going to feel better and better about the economy as we move into 2024 The revenue estimates are based on the most recent economic projections and forecasting models and don't account for unexpected changes in the national economy and international economic issues. Michigan now has two Republican parties, two websites, two staffs, two leaders issuing edicts. Since a January 6 meeting where a faction of GOP officials voted to remove Chair Christina Caramo and her allies, and appointed Melinda Pago as acting chair. Karamo and her supporters have insisted the meeting violated party bylaws, was wholly illegitimate, and nothing has changed. Hoping for a speedy resolution, the leaders of the anti-Karamo movement appealed to the GOP's highest governing body, the Republican National Committee, asking it to proclaim the party's rightful leader but the rnc is not going to resolve a state party's conflict according to two sources cited by mlive.com karamo critics are falling back to a previous plan asking a court to rule on party leadership the daily beast broke a bombshell story this week on state representative matt hall detailing a police report filed by his girlfriend in 2019 which contained deeply concerning allegations of domestic violence and interfering in a 911 call. The national news outlet lays out how Hall, while on his way to Gamble, began driving fast and dangerously with his girlfriend in the car. This behavior scared his girlfriend to the point that she dialed 911 twice. When she began to record him out of fear of her own safety, he broke her phone. Later, an officer was dispatched to their house advising Hall's girlfriend to take her dog and stay somewhere else that night. This all took place while Hall was a sitting state legislator. Some 20 million people have signed up for health insurance this year through the Affordable Care Act marketplaces, a record-breaking figure. President Joe Biden will likely proclaim those results regularly on the campaign trail for months to come, as former President Donald Trump vows to dismantle the Obama-era program. The latest enrollment projections mean 25% more Americans have signed up for coverage this year compared to last, another record-breaking year when 16.3 million enrolled in the program. Sign-ups spiked after Biden took office, with Democrats rolling out a series of tax breaks that give millions of Americans access to low-cost plans, some with zero-dollar premiums. The Michigan Republican Party is considering a plan that would effectively end primary elections by authorizing party insiders to select nominees for most political offices. Called the Better Political Representation Motion, the new proposal would allow Michigan GOP precinct delegates who are elected every two years to select the party's nominees for most political offices, including local, statewide, and congressional races in closed caucus meetings. While the plan would prevent most Republican voters from deciding the party's nominee, supporters claim it doesn't disenfranchise voters because it would give them what they really want—real, actual Republicans who have a constitutional backbone who are going to fight for them. Former Republican State Representative Larry Inman is back on trial in Grand Rapids this week, accused of attempted extortion and soliciting a bribe. Inman was acquitted in late 2019 of lying to the FBI but jurors in the federal trial deadlocked on the extortion and soliciting charges. The government said that the former Northern Michigan lawmaker sought campaign contributions for his vote to repeal the prevailing wage law, which required workers on public projects, such as school buildings, to receive union-level wages. Inman voted for the 2018 repeal, which narrowly passed. The Michigan Democratic Party has launched a statewide campaign to recruit thousands of Democrats to run for local office. This is part of a national campaign to help ensure that no Republican goes unchallenged up or down the ballot. This program is part of an effort to help ensure Michigan turns out for President Biden and flips seats down the ballot. The 2024 candidate recruitment program is targeting 6,516 local offices including county commissioners, city council members, school board members, and other local office holders across 83 targeted counties to hopefully get at least 350 new Democrats to file for office by the April 23rd deadline. Employees of the Michigan Democratic Party have voted with 100% support to ratify a new contract with the party that prioritizes the needs of staff and will raise wages increase stipends for work-related expenses and improve contributions to retirement funds. Michigan Democratic Party staff, who are organized with IBEW Local 1106, negotiated with the party to bargain for a fair contract after spending the fall supporting the UAW workers' fight for a fair contract. Michigan Democrats are proud to have stood by our values in our own organization. Links to these and other stories are on our website, partyonthepeninsulas.com. From Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyus.
1: Dana Nessel is the People's Attorney. A former criminal prosecutor and civil rights attorney, Michigan's 54th Attorney General is in her second term after winning re-election in 2022. Her core initiatives have been fashioned in the image of her promise to Michigan's residents to give the Department of Attorney General back to the people that it serves. A graduate of the University of Michigan and Wayne State University Law School, Attorney General Nessel lives in southeast Michigan with her wife and twin sons. She discussed the wide-ranging work of her department on behalf of the people with our Waltzorg.
2: Attorney General Nessel, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's a real pleasure to talk with you again.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
2: wanted to start with some of the things that your office does that don't make the headlines necessarily, but really impact a lot of people in Michigan, perhaps all of the people in Michigan, much more than the headline-making stuff, beginning with all your activities in consumer protection. You were especially active during the holiday season with consumer protection warnings. That's a 24-7 operation for your office.
3: Back in the Frank Kelly era, we were really fortunate because General Kelly opened up the first consumer protection division of any state AG's office in the country. And it really is the crown jewel, I think, of our office. And we are charged at the Department of Attorney General with being the chief consumer advocate for consumers all over the state of Michigan. And the fact is, when someone gets price gouged, or ripped off or scammed. It's not their county prosecutor that is likely to handle that case. It is the Department of Attorney General. And so we do our best to put out consumer alerts and warnings. And of course, when people get taken advantage of, we investigate and where there's the evidence to do so, we prosecute. But sometimes the very best thing we can possibly do is really just to educate the public on what scams are out there so that people can avoid them and never become a victim in the first place.
2: The legendary Mr. Kelly, 37 years as attorney general, when he wrote his memoirs, he called the book The People's Lawyer, and it seems like you have really picked up that theme as you took office six years ago.
3: You know, the thing is that traditionally and historically and by statute, the attorney general is the lawyer for the state of Michigan, and that means, of course, that I represent the governor and the secretary of state and the state agencies and boards and commissions. But, you know, what I also see this role as is the lawyer for not just the state of Michigan, but the people of the state of Michigan. So we bring lots and lots of cases on behalf of Michigan residents. And sometimes those are cases involving consumer protection where people got ripped up. Sometimes those are environmental cases. And we've worked really hard to bolster our environmental protection unit. Sometimes those are cases on behalf of people's civil rights. And obviously, we have a criminal division, and so we bring cases as prosecutors in order to protect crime victims in the state as well.
2: One of the things that your office works on that impacts every single person in Michigan is utility rate increases, and that is something where you've had quite a bit of success.
3: Yeah, so I went back again to the Frank Kelly era where Frank Kelly believed that it was his obligation to intervene, which the attorney general has the statutory right to do, in every single rate hike case where the utility seeks to increase the uh, amount that they are charging ratepayers in order to hold utilities to their proofs so that they prove to the Michigan Public Service Commission that they actually need that rate hike and that they have to fully explain what that rate hike is going to be utilized for. And that didn't really happen very much during the Mike Cox and the Bill Schooty years. So I went back to really how Frank Kelly operated the office. And I said, we are going to hold the utilities to their proofs each and every time they seek to increase the rates that they are charging to ratepayers. And sometimes we've been wildly successful since I've taken office over $3 billion saved by ratepayers in rate increases sought by the utilities sometimes we've been successful enough that the utility doesn't get a rate hike at all even when they're seeking a massive amount it really depends sometimes those increases are needed to do things like to bolster the the grid or to trim trees or what have you but we make sure that the that consumers are well represented when we go before the Michigan public service commission we hire expert witnesses who testify in these matters. And we make sure that in the event that there is a rate increase, it's because it's absolutely needed, not just because the utilities want to pay their CEO more or give their shareholders a better rate of return.
2: One area where you've really had to break new ground is in dealing with technology and the illegal uses and the fraudulent uses of technology, whether it's AI or it's robocalls, which is one of my pet peeves, which I appreciate you working on, telemarketing and on. How has that evolved during your six years in office?
3: As technology continues to change, we've seen more and more sophisticated scams against Michigan residents. So in 2019, I created one of the country's first anti-robocalling units. And I think we've done a lot to go after those big robocalling shops. By the way, Nearly all of those robocalls are actually illegal calls. So we go after them. We've shut down a lot of big robocalling operations. If you have noticed markedly fewer robocalls since 2019, I think we've been pretty successful on that front. But really, the wave of the future in terms of the most sophisticated scams involves artificial intelligence. And boy, has that become dangerous. And what people should know about is that even somebody with the most rudimentary knowledge of some of this technology can, from their home, take a little snippet of an individual's voice, and whether that is a well-known individual who's appearing on TV or radio, or whether that is a, a relative who does a TikTok video, you can take a person's voice and you can run it through a computer system and you can make a person say... Literally anything in terms of the conception that it is the person's voice, their true voice. And it's used to rip off a lot of people. So we are warning people that if you receive a phone call from someone that purports to be somebody that you know or whose voice you recognize and they are asking you for things like your social security number or your credit card uh, or other kinds of financial information or personal information, that you simply say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to call you back and ensure that it really is the person that it purports to be, because this is a scam that is already depriving people of millions and millions of dollars around our state, because it just is so easy to fall for.
2: And it has tremendously serious implications for the upcoming election. We've already had a lot of challenges with people disbelieving things about politics and elections. But with artificial intelligence, you literally can make anybody who's a public figure say anything you want them to say.
3: Well, that's right. And that's why I think it's so important that our legislature and Congress have taken action and need to take more action to ensure that, to me, it goes beyond just a a civil penalty. When you are creating the perception that someone is saying or doing something that they are not doing. It has tremendous consequences for our democracy. And I think that ought to be defined as a criminal activity. If somebody does that, if you are going to use this technology to create the appearance that a a candidate for office or an office holder is saying or doing something that they've never actually said or done, uh, I think it's important that people be held responsible because if not, we'll never be able to trust anything that a candidate or an elected leader ever says or does, because we'll never know if it's real or not.
2: You mentioned earlier your criminal division. What is the guideline for when the attorney general gets involved, as opposed to the local prosecutor? When do you decide to move in?
3: There are a variety of circumstances. The first, of course, is when there's a conflict of interest for a local prosecutor to handle the case. Those cases come to our office. Sometimes if they're more minor offenses, we will send them to uh, PAC, the Prosecuting Attorneys Coordinating counsel, and ask that the case be reassigned to another county prosecutor. Or sometimes if we think the case is notable enough or important enough or complex enough, we'll keep it. But really the types of cases that we keep, firstly, are cases that are too complicated, For a county prosecutor to handle an example that I would give you is, for instance, a Ponzi scheme that's occurring in multiple jurisdictions around the state. Our clergy abuse investigation or the MSU investigation that involved multiple uh, victims in multiple different counties and the review of millions and millions of documents. That's just not something that a, a local prosecutor's office has the bandwidth to handle. Plus, the Department of Attorney General, we enjoy statewide jurisdiction. So we can bring a case in any county of the state. That's not true for county prosecutors who are limited to cases that occur within their county. But oftentimes what we'll see, again, is just a case that is very complex, has multiple victims, and is going to take the kind of review that is simply not feasible from a local prosecutor. We also have specialized units that handle certain types of cases. And I would point you to our hate crimes and domestic terrorism unit as one that operates all around the state of Michigan. You might remember that we handled a number of the cases involving the plot to kidnap and assassinate Governor Whitmer that occurred with multiple individuals across multiple counties. And so we handled that case that's an example of something that probably would have been difficult for a local prosecutor to handle but really the list goes on and on as to the types of cases but again we we recognize the uh, independence of county prosecutors who were elected by their constituents but on the other hand there are just many types of cases that we think it's best that the the state handle but we try to work that out with the county prosecutor so that we're not having issues That are territorial in nature. And I think that I work really well with the 83 county prosecutors around the state of Michigan to ensure that we're working together. And often, by the way, there are times where we handle those cases together and we'll have one person from the county prosecutor's office at the prosecution table and an assistant attorney general who's co-leading that case with them in the event that we think it's appropriate to do so.
2: One area where you unfortunately have had to intervene a lot is public corruption. It seems like a lot of the cases that you are working on involve secret money, dark money that goes unreported. The public just doesn't see it uh, until you root it out.
3: Yeah, it's important to note though that it is so difficult to detect what's going on with these 501c4s in particular, these dark money packs, that the only way that we can really figure out how this money is being spent And if this money is being donated or spent in an illegal manner is when we have, of course, probable cause to get a search warrant to peek behind the curtains. And that is what happened, uh, of course, with the Lee Chatfield case. And while I can't get into the details, I will say that this started with a complaint that was made by Lee Chatfield's sister-in-law and brother. And that led to our investigation, which has At this point, yielded charges against a couple of his staffers. But what I will say, I've learned through that investigation and learned through the yet still unresolved case involving Unlock Michigan. And that involved former uh, Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky and some complaints that were made about how a couple of 501C4 nonprofits are alleged to have coordinated with this Unlock Michigan campaign that was a ballot proposal to strip Governor Whitmer of some of the powers of the governor, it's really led me to see very clearly and to understand that dark money inevitably leads to corruption uh, in our state government, and it is corrosive in nature. And that is why I am working with a number of Democrats in the state legislature To change the laws so that there is greater transparency so that we know who is giving the money and how the money is being spent. And I think that virtually nothing is more important for us to do in this remaining year of this legislative session because dark money is corrosive when it comes to every other issue that there is. And very few states operate like this. And the residents and the voters of the, of the state of Michigan deserve to know who is making these donations and how this money is being spent and how it might impact the decisions of elected lawmakers and other officials in our state.
2: Many, if not most, of the investigations that have been reported involving your office on political corruption have involved Republicans. Are you getting Concerned about the possible charges that uh, these are just partisan investigations, what we're hearing from President Trump at the national level, that it's just a partisan witch hunt?
3: First of all, let me say that I've prosecuted a number of Democrats while I've been in office, right? I prosecuted Eric Smith, the Democratic former prosecutor of Macomb County. I prosecuted Sharikia Hawkins, the former Democratic clerk of the city of Southfield. I have a number of other prominent Democrats that I have prosecuted. So I certainly have not only prosecuted Republicans through my time in office. I will say that I think what I've noticed is that the people who are most subject to whether we're talking about bribery or whether we're talking about um, the ability or aptitude to raise really large amounts of money in these 501C4s are the people who are in the greatest positions of authority and power. And for 40 years in this state, that was mostly Republicans in the legislature. And as I said before, of course, I hope that nobody in our party is committing these same types of really suspect and sometimes illegal activities that we've seen in other cases I think that the temptation is there the same way it would be for the Republicans. So this is not just a Republican issue, right? And that's why I think it's so important that Democrats are leading the charge to clean this up and to make sure that we have better transparency, because I think the temptation will always be there to act illegally when nobody can see what you're doing. And what I have likened this to on many occasions is bank robbery, right? If you have banks that have no locks on their doors, you have no camera system, you have no alarm system. And at night, when people leave the bank, it's dark and unlocked and nobody's watching it. The temptation is going to be really great to rob that bank. And that's how I see 501c4s right now. If only we put, you know, the types of security systems in place, right? That allow for greater transparency. So that people know how these accounts are being used. The fact of the matter is most people aren't going to try to rob the bank because they know that anyone can just look up exactly what's happening with that account. And so that's why I strongly urge the legislature, the governor to really dig in and to do something about this. Again, we have worked with Democratic legislators in the House to create what I think are really meaningful and impactful bills. I believe that those bills are going to be introduced soon. And I strongly encourage our legislative leaders and the governor to act upon these recommendations. The Republicans might be the ones who have had the opportunity to abuse these accounts the most in the last several years when they were in majority, but it needs to be the Democrats who clean this mess up.
2: I've overstayed my welcome, but I'm still gonna ask you one more question. And that relates to the ongoing case involving the fake electors. You still have charges pending against 15 of them. Is this investigation going to stop with the electors? Or especially in light of the evidence you've received that the Detroit News reported on, is it going to move higher up the food chain?
3: All I can say about that is that our investigation remains ongoing. So we are continuing to review new information as we receive it and that we have not ruled out further charges against more defendants.
2: Have you talked to Fannie Willis lately?
3: <laughs> we have worked really hard uh, to uncover as much as we possibly can about the events that occurred uh, as it pertains to the 2020 election, and we are determined to ensure that justice is served.
2: Attorney General Dana Nestle, you've been most generous with your time. Thank you so much for joining us, for us on the podcast. Me.
1: We're initiating a new segment to our weekly podcast the Trump outrage of the week. It's hard to keep up with all the horrendous things he says and does, but we'll try. In just this week, four outrages. The first is his efforts to whitewash the January 6th insurrection by calling the hundreds who have been convicted or pled guilty by calling them hostages. They aren't hostages. They are criminals. Number two, Resurrecting his race-based lies about his political opponent's right to run based on the circumstances of their births—President Obama, Senator Cruz, Vice President Harris—all of whom, he claimed, didn't meet the natural-born-citizen requirement in the Constitution. Now he's saying the same thing about Nikki Haley in every case. He's lying. Number three. In a campaign speech, Trump said he was hoping for a recession in 2024— because a 2025 recession would make him look bad. It's reminiscent of the early days of COVID. He didn't want a COVID-infected cruise ship to dock in the U.S., because the increase in COVID cases would make him look bad. In both cases, his concern was his image and not protecting the American people. The most outrageous Trump moment of the week, the claim made by his attorneys in federal court that, as president, he had the right to break criminal laws even to order a political assassination and not face criminal prosecution after leaving office. Literally, he had a license to kill. That's it for this week's Trump Outrages and this week's podcast. We'll end on a positive note. A salute to the new National College football champions. Hail to the victors, truly the conquering heroes, the leaders, and the best. I'm Lavora Barnes. Thank you for listening.
0: Paid for by the Michigan Democratic Party, 606 Townsend, Lansing, Michigan, 48933.